Good morning. Welcome to the We Are Driven podcast, where we equip you with the tools to succeed in your pursuit of excellence in business, fitness, and cars. This is episode 66. My name is Arun Kumar, and I am the driver, and I'm here with my co-host, Dan LaRue. How are you doing, Dan? I am doing well. Good morning, Arun. Good morning, listeners. A quick reminder, the quick reminder. If you like this show, if you get value out of it, then you can help us out because we want more people like you to be listening. So if you think of somebody who might be like you and might get some value out of the show, please share it with them. Just one more person, ideally every week or, or 10 people a week if you want to refer, it for, refer us to that many folks, helps this community grow, helps all of us become more driven and better members of society. So with that, Dan, I have a fun fact for you. Great, because I'm tired of reading about the UAW strike. So I, I'm ready for a change of pace here. All Let's right. hear it. All right. So this is an anecdotal fun fact. Okay. So I moved into my house in April of 2021. And during that first summer, we averaged a monthly utility bill for gas and electric of about $85 to $95. We don't have air conditioning. We don't really need it. It never gets that hot where we are. But during the summer, we can expect, you know, somewhere a little under $100 in 2021. In 2022, that number went up to maybe $120, $130, just the cost of utilities in California doing what it does, inflating rapidly at all times. <laughs> but this year, something interesting has happened. This year, our utility bill during the summer has been in the $350 range. Holy cow. Every month of Holy the summer. Cow. Yeah, and it's not been unseasonably cold. We haven't actually had the heater on probably uh, since yeah. May. I, I I live on my AC in the house at 70 degrees at all times. And I think maybe at our worst with like 115 degree weather for an entire week, it's like 200 bucks. Yeah, I mean, part of that's the, the California tax. Yeah. But part of it also, I mean, that's a $200 a month increase just on you know, one year difference. And I don't think the rate went up 125, 135% in a year. So what changed? What changed between the summer months of 2022 and the summer months of 2023? Well, let me tell you what changed. We got a Tesla. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that I can think of. Um, I mean... Do you really think that they're drawing that much power off of houses to charge? It's a big battery and yeah. it's plugged in. It gets plugged in pretty much every day because Even the range you drive is, it or not. Well, no, like we'll we'll not plug it in when it isn't being driven and if it's fully charged. And also if it's fully charged, the charger shuts off. Oh, okay. I I mean I think that specifically in places like California, you're going to see two reasons why your bill probably went up that much. One, yes, your car is plugged in every day, making sure it's got a full charge. But the electric company's kilowatt per hour you know, rate had to have gone up due to the sheer amount of electric cars around the, the road. So as their demand goes up, they're going to charge more. So you probably saw it on both fronts. That's true. Not only is it a matter of our individual consumption, but it's a matter of demand as a whole, especially in this area where I don't know the exact number, but it's probably something like a third of all new cars sold are either plug-in hybrid or yeah. fully electric. Yeah, it's huge. And as as a part of our country that's really going to all electric everything, you know, that demand is going to go through the roof, which is going to cause your rates to go up. So... I'm going to divert this a little bit. So I was I was on a very prolific podcast this weekend, the Changing the Industry podcast, and I encourage all of you when that comes out to listen to it. And I'll, I'll 
direct you to it when it comes out. I don't know when it exactly will come out. But on that, we talked about my past life where I did a lot of work structuring deals in the solar and wind alternative investment world. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, despite California being one of the sunniest states in the country, we don't have that much by way of solar energy contributing to the overall power grid. When you think about, yeah, like probably more than most other states in the country, we actually do put solar panels on our roofs, but we don't have any of those big, you know, fields full of solar panels. The big farms that you see like going east towards Vegas. Yeah. Well, yeah. Are you calling them out or you mean going east from Vegas? No, going to Vegas from like LA. So in California, there are. (laughs) But it's like, you're talking like Eastern side of the state in Nevada before you even see them. Right, and that is powering some of the Southern California. Yeah, I mean, they're big, but they're not like, holy cow, huge. I guess the point is, think about the rolling blackouts of California that exist (laughs) in order to preserve the grid and then think about all these electric cars coming in and we'll see how we do. So fun fact, no. Entertaining fact for us internal combustion engine advocates, yes, I love the idea of alternative fuels and I know I know we can get there as long as there are enough legislators out there making a, a window for those to exist in our future, we'll be okay. And I can have my rumbling engine continue on and echo echoing through the roads of my life for the rest of my life. We can and only hope so. Lives, our children's lives. Yes. Okay. So that's my uh, that's my fun fact for the day. And Dan, let's start with you on our auction appraisal of the week. What do you okay. got? So this car isn't as expensive and as special as the 1987 Lamborghini Countach that I picked last week, but... It is a rival to the era. It's a 1991 Ferrari Testarossa. It's direct rival. You saw them competing with each other in pretty much every single piece of media out there. Someone had a Countach. Somebody had a Testarossa. Uh, This one has got four hours to go. It's at 136,000. No reserve. Black. uh, 29,000 miles. Like I said, this one's not as special as that Countach was, but uh, it's still it's still pretty pricey. I think both these cars are kind of dogs for what they really are, you know, as far as power goes, but cool to look at. They're just not, they're actually just not very good cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Neither one of them really were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was, mm. the, that was the late 80s uh, into the 90s thing, you know. You know, I, I do like... I like it in black. I do too. It's not often you see a Testros in black. Usually it's red or white, but uh, black is is a color out there. It is a color out there, yes. Yeah. <laughs> of the few colors that you actually see mm. Ferraris in. All right. How do you think about the, the presentation score on this one? What like, was it? I didn't even look at it. Um, well, I just mean like the the seller. How did they do on photos, description? I mean... Ah, uh, uh, you know, um, I mean, it was pretty standard as far as like these kind of 90s supercars in quotation marks as far as like the brochure paragraphs and the photos of the, like the engine bay and stuff. Um, I don't know. I think that the undershot is kind of cheesy, but engine bay at least looks clean. The interior looks really clean and like the leather seats aren't cracked or anything like that. So uh, at least they're clear and straight. <laughs> so Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so here's what I think. Here is what I think. So it's at 136,000 right now. There's four hours left. It looks like there are a few bidders at the table and I think 
that this goes up a little bit more. I think this is going to hit 142,000. Okay. That's my bid for today on this All right. wonderful car. Yeah, you know, I just had to go with the rival to last week. That's that's fair. Uh, <laughs> just before I go to mine, we'll update. I'm so proud of how I did last week that I want to interject it here and say <laughs> how well I did. So last week I had that white Countach. White on white on white. <laughs> the, the triple white Countach. And yeah. it had an hour and a half left in the auction when we looked at it, when we recorded the podcast. And it was at like 636,000. Yeah, somewhere and in I, the ballpark. And I yeah. was like, screw it. It's going to hit 700,000. Well, I refreshed the page an hour and a half later, and it was at 699,000. <laughs> and it sold. It sold. So I was very satisfied with myself for that. Yeah. And then just while we're, while we're on the subject, so Dan, the GT350 shelby from the past that i gave you you guessed 110 it bid up to 101,250. and given it was a bring a trailer alumni that had last sold for 126,000 10 months ago mm-hmm. that one no sailed <laughs> yeah that one was that one was tough and you know i went into some depth on why but it, it that it doesn't surprise me at all yeah it's it's unfortunate for that seller but hey you can't win them all wrong time of year to be selling that one that's wait very till spring tr- very true very yeah true. wait till spring you know early spring relist it and maybe you'll get rid of it yeah or maybe you'll be okay to take a bit more of an l on it <laughs> <laughs> that too yeah all I right you love the color <laughs> the color was nice but it was a convertible so i think that kind of vetoes Killed any, Killed any color it. color preferences on it okay dan i'm going to describe the car that i have for you as funky and you could say that the elf from a couple weeks ago was funky but this is oh man i was gonna like blurt out like third gen camaro and then then you just had to go and say that you know third gen camaro this is a kind of it's a little bit older than a third gen okay or not older sorry newer a little bit more recently made than a third gen Camaro. Okay. I have for you a 2001 Mercedes-Benz E320. And everybody I'm falls trying, asleep. I'm I'm <laughs> trying to remember what these things even look like. <laughs> so, this oh, is Oh. This is for sale by one of the dealerships that we featured on the first Bring is, a Trailer episode. Is this you said 2001? Yeah. Okay. So so this car is for sale by Rare Cars in San Jose, which is close to me. And it has 54,000 miles. And it's a 2001. And, and it looks like it was basically a fleet corporate limo kind of thing for yeah. four years, driven 40,000 miles, and then bought by somebody who was probably getting older <laughs> and barely drove it. They drove it 400 miles per year for the next, oh, math, 17, 18 years. And I I am really trying to decide if this car is uglier than the Thunderbird or the Thunderbird is uglier than this. Oh, come on. These are actually, <laughs> these are okay. These are okay. <laughs> It's just, it's so 2000s. It's very 2000s. And so this car, it does have a bit of a blemish to it. If you look at these detailed pictures, the whole passenger side of the car has been repainted, or at least the doors. But you can see there's a huge difference in the paint color between the doors and the fenders. And so it's silver, black interior. It's the 3.2 liter V6, 220 horsepower. Uh, the damage does show on the Carfax, but hey, it's a super low miles little little Mercedes that could. And uh, that's where we're at with this one right now. How did you even notice that there are different colors? Oh, I did a lot of diligence on this post. Yeah, we, like I'm looking we at this recorded. like, man, that's tough. 
if you go read the comments, you'll see people are are talking about it. Oh, they do. They do list it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So Dan, I gave you one with a little bit more time left on the auction this time. We have a, a, over twenty four hours left. Current bid twenty eight hundred dollars. <laughs> Five grand. <laughs> All right. Five like, grand. I, I, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Because I, I honestly have no idea why <laughs> anyone would want to buy one of these anyway. Well, you know what's funny? You bought one, didn't you? I'm the high bidder. <laughs> you are. I'm literally looking at it. Driven an Autoco. <laughs> Oops. It's local to me. No transportation costs whatsoever. I could go I look mean, at it's it cheap. tomorrow. It's a cheap luxury car, but it's just like, ugh. I was talking to one of my techs yesterday about the fact that I I've wanted to get into like a bigger body luxury sedan that I can just feel comfortable in mm-hmm. because you know I have my M3 which is kind of more of this like quiet beast is kind of the words I'll use to describe it's not quiet obviously but it it just feels like this it's quite refined it's it's a bit luxurious but it's also fast and slammed to the ground and big, right. w- big wide wheels and tires so what is this tool that they're using on the paint in paint these meter. photos that's what it is they're checking paint depth yeah oh i didn't know that was even a thing you're not you're not a bougie enough car owner to clearly not know about paint meters <laughs> i guess <laughs> I, I mean i would suppose why but okay Whatever. <laughs> Whatever floats their boat. Their their boat has been has been floated. Yeah. Enough at least for me to bid on it. <laughs> well, I, I hope you get stuck with this thing. If I, I get you, stuck with it at twenty eight hundred dollars, I'll I'll be able to sell it for at least four. I yeah, think. you can throw it on Craigslist and or yeah. marketplace and, and make you make money on it for yeah, sure. That's not even a problem. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is one of those cars I'm bringing to other. I'm like, why? Like, yeah, you're gonna take one... you're gonna take the hit on this for for what reason? <laughs> but the thing is, is so it it's for sale, no reserve. But I wonder how much the dealer paid for this. Yeah, like, did they pay four? I I bet they paid closer to four for this than mm-hmm. than twenty eight hundred dollars. Yeah, that's why I'm saying five because they'll make yeah. a grand on it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, All that to say, I went to a conference this weekend. All of what we just said will culminate with the fact that I went to a conference. This conference is called the Automotive Service and Technology Expo in Raleigh, or actually Durham, North Carolina. It was put on by the Automotive Service and Tire Alliance of the Southeast. And this is a regional trade association of the Southeast dedicated to business and technical excellence for the automotive service entire industry of the Southeast United States. However, I think I've talked on this show before about the Changing the Industry podcast, which has been highly influential in my education and my worldview on the future of automotive service. And those guys who run that podcast are in the Southeast and participate in ASTA and ASTE. And they were heavily promoting this on their podcast. And I decided to go because it's basically a training event along with a networking event that's promoted to the entire country, even though it is a regional trade association putting it on. So most of the people there were local and by local, it's anywhere from, you know, Florida to Alabama to North Carolina, up into New England, but most of them were East Coast folks. But I was able to appear on their podcast, which I'm very happy about. So that's what I've, I've already mentioned. We'll, we'll let you guys know when that comes out. But then separately, I got to attend quite a lot of training classes and have discussions with a number of different shop owners on what I believe is a very uplifting and positive outlook on the future of automotive service. Now, in a past podcast, we talked about the current situation with automotive service. And I talked about the fact that there are three D's that are 
the sort of pillars of the reputation of automotive service today. And those are to delay, to deceive, and to disappoint. But now I want to talk about three characteristics of the future of automotive service and the businesses that are going to win. And I want Dan to tell me if I'm right or not. <laughs> okay. And and for for you to ruminate on your future involvement in automotive service. Yeah, I really don't know what that even looks like for me. So this will be curious. It's it's to gonna talk be about. you're gonna be sitting in a in a really pristinely clean office, <laughs> shiny floors, sterile, completely white, like a doctor's <laughs> office. And you're going to be, but you're going to be selling insane drag packages. Okay. Yeah. Probably not that sterile. I really like my uh, factory exhaust hanging on my wall and using it as a coat rack. Using so. it as a coat rack. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, leaning up against my wall and like the hangers that stick off the side. I hang my sweatshirts and coats on them. That might that might work as a design element, but that's for your private office. That's not for like the main lobby. Oh, yeah, no. You don't need a coat rack in the main lobby. Yeah, no. That's what I think. That, that's what I envision for your future. Yeah, we'll Am see. Am I right? Probably not. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? All right, so... These three characteristics, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about where the industry is headed based on these conversations that I had. So number one, the future of automotive service is innovative. Now, we've talked at length about the fact that car technology is moving really, really fast and that it is very important for us to be continuously aware of whether or not those are changes technologically that we should be advocating for and purchasing as consumers, or at least hopefully we uh, on this podcast are shedding light for you on whether or not you should even consider paying for some of these things, or if there are better alternatives out there, like putting CarPlay in your car on the aftermarket rather than paying for a subscription to CarPlay. So, we in automotive service have to continue to be innovative. We can't. So, so here's a great example. Chrome deletes. Yeah. Let's talk about Chrome deletes. All right. So I know, I know all about this. My truck, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but my truck has a Chrome delete on the grill. It took four minutes to install. But how is that possible? The grill is so big on my truck. How in the world did I possibly install a Chrome Delete in four minutes? That's, that's as long as it should have taken to get up to, for a very skilled installer to complete one corner of applying vinyl wrap mm -hmm. to that piece. So how in the world did I get it done that fast? Dan, would you like to explain to people how I could get something like that done so fast? Yeah, it's, it's really awesome. You literally go to this awesome website or you call me and <laughs> I will send you a plastic version of your grill with tape or clips on the back of it that we just stick right on it. It covers up all the chrome. That's very innovative, isn't it? It so is. But so, so how is. long? I, I know a little bit about this history, but I, let's have you tell it. How long has has your company or a product similar to the one your company sells been around? Um, so the main, so, so coast to coast international is the company, um, that got with, uh, Keystone automotive, um, in like the middle ish two thousands, um, to which then they bought Chrome enhancements at that time. Um, they've been doing it since like the nineties, um, but they were really more focused on like wheel caps at that time, like or wheel covers. Like yeah, like hubcaps. Yeah. Um, pretty pretty much as an OE replacement for like body shops and stuff. But that turned into like your door handles, your mirrors, your grills, actual wheel skins, body side moldings, pillar posts. You know, you name it. There's stuff to cover it. Um, but pretty much the the process is is that you know they take a vehicle or they get an OE part, they scan it, 
you know, then they send those scans overseas. They make a mold. They use plastic injection. They plate it in gloss black or chrome, and then they send it back over here for us to sell. And I would, I would hazard to guess that there has been a lot of innovation in that production process. And, oh yes. And I think what's, what's been really cool to see over even this short amount of time recently is the installation methodologies. Yeah. Have changed it, quite a lot recently. Yeah. I mean, we've gone from a uh, full like tape on only to now clips and snap ons. Um, I know, you know, some good, good friends of mine with another company, they actually have patents for their products now. Yep. So, you know, other companies that want to try and do this, they can't because our good friends have been innovative enough to <laughs> come up with a way to do it differently than everybody else. Right. But so that is, is really good. And it also is a big difference. Like think about, we used to charge $1,200 to Chrome delete a mm-hmm. Tesla model three, like an early model three. With my old shop, it was it was twelve hundred dollars to Chrome delete one because mm-hmm. you have to disassemble the entire mirror, the whole. Wait, sorry, not a Model Three, a Model S. The the OG Model S's that have those big mouths on the front with oh yeah tons of Chrome on them. The whole window trim, the whole window surround is Chrome. The the stock for the side mirrors Chrome. The back end has chrome on it. You know, it's just covered in chrome. <laughs> right. Chromey car. So Tesla actually completely killed our our business with Tesla chrome deletes because they just do it from the factory now. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's no different than like Audi. Like you want you want black instead of polished, then spend the two grand for the black optics package. Right. And and most manufacturers nowadays are doing that. Right. But you know, there are a majority of buyers out there that do not have that option. You know, they, they're, they're not, they're not capable of going in and getting a new car. Like they've got to buy something used, something cheaper, you know? So, you know, doing the Chrome deletes is their only option. Right. And, and that's fine from our perspective. Yeah, it's fine. Like I, I look at it and I gave this speech to my employees yesterday is we're selling confidence in your car. Mm-hmm. And that's whether you're doing modifications, detailing, or general repair, you're selling confidence. It's confidence in in the the process of a of a person getting out of their car and being proud of what they just got out of, or it's confidence that their car is going to get them to their destination. Yep. In either case, it's something that somebody wants to buy, wants to spend money on. And I love that. And it means that we have to continue to be able to provide the best in class for quality and what's the word I'm looking for? Basically innovative solutions to the changing landscape for new cars because with different powertrains and different technological systems, entertainment, safety, all of that wrapped up into a car what we do now with lift kits and all that impacts your safety features. What people do with paint protection film, detailing, final wrap, all that affects your parking sensors or your blind spot monitors or your cameras. What you do with windshield protection film will impact your cameras and your safety features. Yeah, and your adaptive it's, cruise it's huge. Yeah, that, that's why I, I, I would tell anyone out there getting in the automotive industry Start looking into ADOS because that's the next big thing for the automotive industry as far as, you know, products that won't mess with it. Right. So. And and for those of us who are developing and installing and manufacturing and distributing those kind of parts that are compatible with today's tele- technologically advanced cars, you're going to win. You're going to mm-hmm. win really big because people aren't going to stop buying cars. Right. And so that brings me to the next point. You want to win? You're going to make money. And we love that here. <laughs> Heck yeah, we do. <laughs> so cars are hard. Cars are not getting any easier. They're not getting any easier to manufacture, design, sell, modify, update, 
<laughs> over yeah, the cloud software updates. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, like in overlay business, doing Chrome and black, there's really nothing I can put on a Tesla. They don't have handles. They don't have grills. They, <laughs> they've got mirrors, and they kind of have wheels, but, like, it's just, that's a manufacturer that's not an option. Right. So, what do we do? Well, the consumer still wants to look a little different, to set themselves apart from the crowd, to personalize their vehicle, to be proud of what's sitting in the driveway or that they get out of in front of the, you know, the valet at the fancy restaurant, whatever it is. They want to do something cool with it. Paint to sample, add personum, whatever customization that those those high-end car manufacturers do from the factory, that applies and trickles down to every single automotive consumer. Mm-hmm. But they're not making it any easier for us to be able to work on these cars, to be able to design aftermarket parts for them. So it's up to us to not only persevere through those challenges, but then charge accordingly. Mm-hmm. And that second part is where we have dramatically fallen behind the curve. And I've talked about this a lot. Like I had a service technician out here yesterday for our air compressor. So we're talking about a little bit of plumbing, a little bit of electrical. Generally, he's a he's an equipment technician. It has a lot of the same tools that we do, but he shows up in a van, works for four to five hours. And then I get a bill for like $1,400 in labor. Oof. <laughs> and that's fine. But what that means is his labor rate is over $300 an hour. Yeah. Which is great because frankly, I don't know the first thing about that piece of equipment. <laughs> I know how to run a, my business profitably enough to be able to pay him. But imagine if you didn't. Imagine if your labor rate was less than half of what mine is, which somebody in this same plaza that I work in has. It's crazy. That's insane to me. And and they're trying to get, they're saying, oh, you know, customers want to pay our prices. Everybody's trying to haggle with us. I end up selling brakes at cost. Ugh. They'll be out of business in a year. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody who is still in the automotive service industry and trying to fight for being the cheapest, you're going to lose. Yeah. And, and I know that firsthand from just doing, you know, some e-commerce stuff through like branded car clubs and forums and stuff, man, customers will beat you down to the lowest price. And like, I got to a point where some of my guys, all right, tell them to go to Amazon then. Like, yep. it's yep. better for them to go buy somewhere else than it is from you at next to nothing. And here's the problem though. Those customers are, are going to do that then, and they should, but they should know that you're not white labeling the same damn product and trying to sell it for more because you have better customer service. Right. And that, and that was my argument. Like he, they're spending more with us because we're providing them the, the prime customer service that's going to bring them back if they ever want to buy anything or if they have an issue with the product that they bought from us. But all that means is, you shouldn't be so on the hook for warranties because you're right. Your uh, pricing needs to be based on an, a holistic quality perception. Yeah. And that perception is both the longevity of a product, which if it's the same thing that they're selling on Amazon doesn't exist, you know, that longevity is not going to be there. But number two, it's that you're enabling them to buy easier because you're guaranteeing fitment, you're providing a warranty, you know, whatever it is, you have installation instructions. There's plenty of ways in which you can add value, mm-hmm. but also you should have a better product. Yeah. And like you have to put your time into that mix too. And, you know, I'd tell my sales guys, you know, if you worked on this sale for an hour and your commission was five bucks, you just made five bucks an hour. <laughs> yeah. Like why, why make the sale then? Yeah. But okay, so a little bit off topic there. But the point is, is is we are, we should not be an industry where the cheapest wins. Mm-hmm. We are, we have the safety and transportation of the world's public in our hands. Get the hell out of here with race to the bottom, being cheaper, being the low cost provider. No, come on. Cars are 
a very, 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 very important part of our society, do you really want to get the cheapest thing possible done? <laughs> do, I don't you want to go to a plastic surgeon and get a cheap nose job? What, do you want to go to a <laughs> dentist and get a cheap <laughs> implant? There you, you go. Like, whatever it is. Like, I don't want my tooth to look a different color. Right? <laughs> I, I don't You're going to a tattoo parlor, get a cheap tattoo? Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> I can't believe that. It's so funny to me. Like I, I was tattoo artist browsing recently. I was interviewing tattoo artists. That's the way I should say this. And uh, so in that process, I've talked to quite a number of, of tattoo artists who will basically start out a conversation by saying, here's my price. If you don't like it, stop talking to me. Because I feel like they get a lot of people who waste their time. 100%. And then get to the price and it's like, oh, this is $2,000 to, uh, you know, get your sleeve done on your arm. And we're not, you know, you, we've just spent all this time designing it and you get to the end. Yeah, it's like and, with my guy. I don't even ask him. I don't know what his rate is. Don't ask him. I usually, usually when he's done, I'm like, sorry, how much was it? And he goes, just gives me a number. I'm like, okay. like Right, yeah. Like. Yeah, and that that's fine because you you want somebody who you can trust to put a you know permanent piece of ink on your arm like that, right? Or whatever it yeah, is. he's he's a rock star. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, there's no other kind of comparison in my eyes to doing that. If it's like, oh, this is a super simple tattoo, like you know, I picked it out of a book. Sure, you're getting a lower quality thing for that. If it has meaning for you, I'm I'm happy for you. But that's not the kind of tattoo that I want. And okay, so so to put a pin in the second point we should in the future be extremely profitable as automotive business owners and, and automotive service providers because oh my like think about lawyers doctors like that whole world professionals we are at that level we have that level of responsibility there is no reason why we should not make that kind of money lawyers doctors that's that is the pinnacle of lucrative professions and they take a long time to get good at yeah you have to go to extra schooling all that and cars should be the same way for the level of liability and technicality that they carry yeah like why why it, it, especially even if you like put doctors and lawyers you know outside the spectrum if you were to just compare mechanics to uh other trades skilled trades why are they at the bottom of the barrel? When they're doing the most complex work of it all. Yeah. You have to be a computer engineer, a hardware engineer, software engineer, an the electrical of, engineer. Yeah. The <laughs> amount of math you need to know, the geometry. Yeah. Like my, my favorite mechanic, <laughs> the amount of geometry he just knows from doing alignments is insane. Like he just, and he can eyeball it and do it in his brain. Okay, that's a little. That's a, quite impressive. <laughs> yeah, like, but he's been doing it for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what makes it. That's what makes somebody good at anything. You don't want. I don't want to be somebody's first plastic surgery or a tattoo yeah. or whatever or, it is. Or like, there, there'd be a car rolls through his shop. Like he's never seen it before. He'll look at a bolt from thirty feet away and be like, "That's a eighteen millimeter socket. I need." Like, I oh, I envy that the amount of time I've spent walking. <laughs> but that's my point is I have a lot of respect for for technicians in this industry because I can't do that. I'm not good at it at all, and it's hard. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, so that's that's point number two. The future of the automotive industry, the future of automotive service is going to be innovative, and it's also going to be lucrative because this is a hard technical industry, and we deserve to be compensated accordingly. And number three, kind of along the same lines as number two, is the future of automotive service is that this is going to be a desirable career path. Now, I've talked about this before, that when I was 18, I wanted to work at Jiffy Lube. And my parents basically forbid me to work at Jiffy <laughs> Lube and said, we're going to kick you out of the house if you want to go work with those grease monkeys. My dad would have been over the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so there are there are different, I'll say that, to start with, perceptions of automotive service as a career path. But I think for a lot of the white-collar, baby boomer-era parents, 
it's just unheard of that you would do something like that as as one of their kids. Like if you if you went into automotive service as you know somebody who is now in their thirties, twenties, and thirties, that was kind of against the grain of probably what your family maybe wanted for you. Yeah, I I think it's very much regionally dependent on that too, because you know as someone who lived in between two major uh, automotive factory towns. Uh, it, it was pretty common that you were like a third or even sometimes a, a fourth generation factory worker mm-hmm. working at Jeep plant or any Ford plant GM. So for like from where I'm from, kind of almost expected. Okay. Which is interesting. Would you say, but when you, okay. So when you're talking about this whole third, fourth generation doing the same job, do mm-hmm. you think that is, do you think that is still something that's considered a desirable career path or is it just a um, safe career path? I don't know. If they get a 46% pay raise, maybe. <laughs> right. But, okay. So, so there is a balance between, you know, yeah, business I mean, and like free market kind of stuff where if you've right. got the president, mm, not going to go there, but <laughs> you know. You, I, yeah. Like, I, I don't know if it's a desirable job. Maybe more so now than ever. Than you know, eighty and, years ago. Yeah, but also we've had a lot of innovation in in manufacturing, and so the, mm-hmm. the kind of factory jobs that existed eighty years ago don't exist today. Yeah, it's very much different, and you know there are some really good benefits to it. You know, my dad said if he would have went in at eighteen, he would have been retired by forty five ish. Yeah, you're retired at 45, time to start your second career. You may or may not be in a union. You got great benefits. You had a pension that once you once you hit that retirement age, you could cash mm-hmm. out or, you know, you're getting money now for the rest of your life and you're like halfway there. <laughs> right. And you you did something that was super steady, super reliable. You worked a shift, you know, you were you're fixed hours and that for a lot of people is desirable. Not for mm-hmm. me, but for a lot of people, that yeah. kind of a lifestyle that if if they're paying you enough, it it works. But yeah, I think, which is why I I would say it's definitely you have to look at it from a regional standpoint because like definitely Eastern Michigan and Northwest Ohio, heck yeah, like that's a thing. But like here in Nebraska, no. Right. Okay. So so there there is that caveat to it. But then I would also say is despite all of that innovation of the last eighty years the companies didn't necessarily take care of their people and where they, where they innovated and made people redundant. They just said, all right, that's enough. They didn't try to find another place for them. They didn't really increase wages in uh, proportion to the increased level of skill or the increased level of liability associated with the job. And the same is true for automotive service. So that's where I'm going with this is, you know, a tech not that long ago was a entry level minimum wage job. Mm-hmm. But you think about what an entry level tech needs. They're buying thousands of dollars of tools. They're paying still... weekly to snap on Mac yeah. and yeah. everybody else. And they, yeah, so they have really high, you know, financing. They do have financing, which is good, but it's it's kind of predatory in a lot of cases as far as, uh, yeah. you know, how expensive of an interest rate that gets you. But for a lot of people, it's the only option for how to get themselves into tools. Yeah, they have to get started somehow. And then put on top of that, the fact that you're usually working in an environment that isn't perfectly temperature controlled. You're doing kind of heavy manual labor a lot of the time. And you have a ton of liability on your shoulders because even if all you're doing is tire rotations, you leave you leave a, a wheel loose or you don't notice uh, or you do it an improper, you know, flat repair, or you forget to put the drain plug back in, or, you know, there's all kind of different things that could cause significant issues with that car. Yep. And heard that, heard that story directly from a friend, got fired from a dealership for not torquing the lug nuts. Yeah. And and you're on the hook for that, but you're also getting paid minimum wage. Like what? That doesn't mm-hmm. really, that doesn't equate. You want people who are highly skilled and competent in what they do. They're not just going to tolerate that. 
it's still a hard job, but I think there's enough people out there that like cars enough that you get people to stay in this industry and be attracted to this industry based on what I see being part of the future, which is you're paid well, you're paid on performance, you're encouraged to continue to get better. There's a continuous advancement pool. And if you come and work for Yes. And if you come and work for a company like Driven Auto Co., where you're part of a growing enterprise, there will be constant room for growth in in higher level positions and management, executive level positions as we grow. You know, that is the kind of business that needs to exist in the automotive service for any level of desirable career path going forwards. So those are the three. We're going to become more innovative. We're going to become more lucrative. And the career path provided by this industry is going to become more desirable. Anything else you want to add, Dan? No. I want it to be more desirable because I need more employees. It's very hard finding good help. Well, and, and, and part of that is on you. Yeah. Because maybe you're not offering enough money. <laughs> Or Bruh, enough. We'll talk later about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but that's uh that's part of how it goes. You know, we gotta like I I was very proud of the fact that ooh big technician shortage. Oh, it's so hard to find people. I restaffed this entire shop in two months. Yeah, less you, than two you, months. You gave them the right pathway, the right money. Yeah, oh. and and it wasn't hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, am I well, a lot of a lot of shops and companies out there? They're just afraid to pay their guys probably as much as you are because they don't want to increase their prices. They don't want to scare off their customers or the guy down the street. That's not doing that. Do better. Become yeah, more they innovative. Just, they all just need to get to get together and just agree. Like, hey, we should do this, and then we all make more money. That's price fixing. We can't do that. That's anti-competitive. Well, the FTC will come after you. Sure. <laughs> Suggested. FTC's not kinda, guaranteed. FTC's kind of busy with uh, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon right now, which rightfully so. They should be. <laughs> yeah. Talk about monopolies. We literally cannot even say the words like, oh, go, go research that in a search engine. Yeah. And the amount, it's actually it, like, where do you go? Where do you shop online? On the, uh, you know, the internet? Or, uh, yeah, Amazon. Hello, Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, where else would I go? Do you what? What is your word processor of choice? What is your operating system of choice? Ooh, Windows. <laughs> Ooh, my search engine is Google. Oh, yeah, and your word processor is Microsoft Office, and your yep financial modeling is Microsoft Excel, and your web hosting is either AWS or Azure <laughs> if you're a bigger Wow, company. you just well I, you didn't get my web hosting but uh cuz I don't know it but I do have Office Excel and Word open right now. <laughs> hey, same. I have a OneNote, Word, Excel, Google Chrome and Windows Explorer open on my computer. I've got Oh, you see, I use Opera. What's Opera? It's just another web browser. It uses less RAM than the other ones. Oh, look at you. Mm-hmm. Innovation. I'm a computer nerd, Arun. Whatever. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, so I think that's all we got for today. So I do want to mention something about the Driven Network. I posted a weekly lecture on YouTube public today. Because Ooh. we're doing something different. I'm I'm waiting for feedback, but this is my thought. That we split up the lectures from the group coaching calls so that group coaching calls can be exclusively group coaching calls and there isn't this portion where I have to kind of press pause and yell at a camera with other people watching me for 5 to 15 minutes. And instead, we just use that whole time blocked off for discussion and then I can do this more professionally produced. It's completely out of focus, but generally speaking, professionally produced uh, weekly lecture 
and have it a bit better mm-hmm. looking than what we've what we've been used to with the the Google Meets recordings. So just something to think about. You can go watch that video on YouTube. There's a the public YouTube channel is is up and running. I've posted a couple of videos on there, so go check them out. It's at at the the Driven Diary. I am Separate going to. It's not that long of a video either. It's just 10 minutes of your time. Yeah. All these videos are short. All right. And uh, lastly, Dan, where can people find you to figure out how to get more involved in the Driven community, join the Driven network, or just talk to you about plastic injection molding? Yeah. <laughs> or anything else. Uh, the UAW um, Yeah, please don't. I'm over it. Uh <laughs> I am Dan LaRue on Facebook and LinkedIn, uh, Dan underscore LaRue on Instagram, and the LaRue on TikTok. I have two videos out there now. One Ooh, did I, way better than the other. The, the first one, so, they, they try to hook you by making the first video do really well yeah, so the, that you want to The second one was more. like, eh, yeah. That's how Even though goes. the second one was cool as crap, and I still don't hear right from it. Welcome to TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, you know, I, I have a, I have another fun day coming up at the racetrack uh, soon, so maybe I'll take some more videos. Ooh, actually, one more piece of news is my race car is getting its new motor right now. Oh. That's big news. That's actually all very right. exciting. It's been putting broken. A 2J in it. Putting a M54 B30 replacement motor in it. Dang. 180 Dang. wheel horsepower. Hell yeah. All right. Anyway, it's going to knock your socks off. If you want to see Instagram story updates about that car, you can find me at Arun D. Kumar, or you can message me on Facebook and LinkedIn, which is probably how you found this podcast in the first place, unless somebody awesome out there shared it with you. And I really hope they did. And if they did, I'll send them a t-shirt. So let me know who it is. Free t-shirt. And I think that's all we got for today. So we appreciate you listening. This has been Arun and Dan, and until next time, stay driven.